everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and I'm here at Bristol Motor Speedway with my friend Aaron Bearden from Kicking the Tires and his own email newsletter and various outlets, depending on what sport you're covering or what form of racing you're covering. But Aaron, how are you? I am good. I'm also a little bit amazed. You've spent like a whole weekend with me. Shared a hotel room, got breakfast, and you're still willing to put up with me for another like 20 minutes to do the podcast. That's more than most people could deal with me for. Well, was, I, you know, I figured 20 more minutes is, you know, after that I'll be done. So <laughs> Get your quota for the year done. Yeah, yeah, I'll me. be free of you after that. But not, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, no, it was fun. We got, we got to uh, hang out all weekend, get choked up here, and uh, watch quite an amazing race, actually. Uh, you know, I thought this one was pretty good. I don't know about you, but it seemed to be like there was lead changes all night. There was uh, close battles for the lead. There was unexpected developments. Um, I don't know. I mean, as far as like NASCAR racing, I feel like this is kind of what I would hope to see out of a race every week. So this kind of checked all the boxes for me. What about you? Yeah, we when we had like 20 to go, I think, and we had... No, it was after the last restart when we had Kurt. He kind of shot out. I think he actually had his quickest lap of the race on lap 489, so pretty clutch by him. But when he shot out and Larson was trying to catch him and we had battles all the way behind him, I was sitting there in my chair, and all I could think to myself was, I think this might be the most fun I've ever had covering a race. Wow. Like, it was just, there was so much going on from start to finish. We had drama from literally lap two which I'm sure we'll get to all the way till the end. You had somebody who wasn't a member of the big three winning for a change. Which, yeah, nice little change of pace there. Yeah, which, mind you, you try not to root for against anything, but it can be refreshing sometimes when you get a little different storyline to switch things up. And yeah. I mean, it was just a phenomenal race. Tons of different lanes kind of coming and going, lap traffic kind of throwing everybody for a loop throughout the night. I mean, there was just everything going on out there, and it made for a really good show. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so Kurt Busch wins it, and that locks him into the playoffs because that was his first win of the year, first win since the Daytona 500 last year. And uh, his first, his sixth Bristol win, but his first since 06. Did you, you know, have him on your radar before tonight? I mean, did you think he was going to be a contender? Well, I know the last really two months, it seems like that team has kind of crept into the conversation a little bit, and he kind of hinted at that. Talked about how they'd ran so good out, I think, New Hampshire a few weeks ago and how they'd showed some promise. And we'd also seen the whole Stuart Haas racing lineup at any given time usually has at least one or two guys that's in the picture. We've seen Almarola some weeks, Harvick pretty much every week until he had his issues today. But So I wouldn't say it was like a huge surprise. I wouldn't have penciled him in as like my number one. Not, not on this Bristol. Now, if we go back 15 years ago, to the old Bristol, yeah, absolutely. Bush was unbelievable here. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Kurt's one of those guys where it just seems like you can always count on him to sneak out one win at some point during the year. We saw it at Daytona last year. We've seen it at, like, Michigan a couple years ago. Martinsville. Yeah. I mean, the track type can clearly vary. But it, it seems like Kurt's one of those guys, and I'm going to put Denny Hamlin in this group too. You can, al- you can always count on them, it seems like, to bring home at least that one win each year. And this just kind of happened to be that team's night. Yeah, it's like he's always a guy that's, you know, going to be a contender to run top 10, maybe top five every week. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes he ends up with a decent finish. But it's like one of these nights where he kind of put it all together. Um, and, you know, is 
it was cool to see that excitement and getting so excited that he launched his helmet off the top of his car. <laughs> uh, you don't see that. I don't never seen that before. So uh, that was that was pretty cool. But um, you know, also uh, another close finish for Kyle Larson. He he ran well despite his car being crap. It seemed like. I mean, he ends up finishing second. So I guess he said he got lucky late with with the line uh, with the restart because. Boy, if you weren't on the top lane, you were pretty much screwed. Yeah, you could really get shuffled back. I mean, we saw it there from Clint Boyer on that. I think it was was it the last restart when Boyer got sent way back? I think he was second coming. He spun to his it. tires. Yeah, bad. Just, I mean, just got sent, and it yeah. happened to a lot of guys on the inside throughout the night. Mm-hmm. I think the outside was definitely the preferred lane. Yeah, I think I saw um, a stat before the race on Twitter from David Smith, and he had said something like in the in the Bristol Spring Race, something like the the person on the outside of the front row retained their position like 93% of the time or something crazy like that. So, um, you know, Matt Weaver, uh, is always talking about the choose cone rule where drivers would have a chance to pick which lane they want to start in. They could, you know, have to start farther back. Uh, but some people would rather just start on the top because the bottom is so bad at some places or, you know, the top is so bad at some places, depending on the track. Um, and this was a place where it really, really hurt some people tonight, really helped others. Kyle Larson seemed to have fit into that group. Um, let's talk about Kyle Busch. He seems to be uh, the story of the night in some ways, aside from his brother winning, because um, lap one, I saw, they never showed it on TV. So, mm-hmm. you know, people were even saying this didn't happen, but I feel like I saw it. He, lap one, turn three and four. He was trying to hug the bottom, he slipped up and hit Eric Almarola. Then on the second lap, same spot. He spun out. He kind of slipped up and spun out. But I think he had maybe perhaps cut a tire because he slammed Almirola pretty hard um, before he got near Blaney on lap two. So, But anyway, either way, caused a big wreck. Yeah. And um, everybody piled in. And uh, it looked like he was going to be pretty much screwed. He was two laps down, almost three several times when Blaney was the leader and chasing him. Yeah, I got very close. Yeah, it was like, that's going to be done. Unbelievable comeback. He's able to get back on the lead lap, get to the top 15, top 10, top 5. Then he gets to third, and his pseudo-teammate, Martin Truex Jr., mm-hmm. what what happened in your view? Well, from what I saw watching it, he, he came up out of, was it turn two? I think it was two, or was it four? Four. It was four. four. Coming onto the front stretch. They all meld together as quick as they go. He came up, and it, it seemed like Bush thought he was going to be clear to try to get back up behind Truex and follow him, and that's kind of what it sounded like he was saying on the radio. He just kind of misjudged it, gave Truex a little nudge, and that's all it takes when you're coming off those turns at the high speed they come here. It sent Truex careening down into the wall, and then he got plowed into by Yaley, I think, and it, wasn't good for Truex. He was very upset, but I don't think Bush did it maliciously. I feel the same. Um, and people are getting mad at me on Twitter, be like, you're a Kyle Bush defender. <laughs> Look, obviously it was Kyle Bush's fault, but in my mind, there's no freaking way he would do that on purpose. Why would you yeah. do that? He's pretty much buddies with Cole Pern. They they go to like the go to lunch and stuff. Yeah. Um uh they they're pseudo teammates. They are in the same meetings. They they're like Furniture Row is basically a JGR. Uh, extension in some ways they all share the info Mm -hmm. um so to at that point it's not even late in the race yet they're battling for second place not even battling for the lead so it's not like a bump and run situation clearly he just misjudged it he made a mistake clearly Mm -hmm. but to do that to say he did on purpose i say no way that happened but um obviously the emotion of bristol and Mm -hmm. um 
the the emotion of the moment. I think a lot of people, and the fact that it's Kyle Busch, let's be honest. I mean, people are going to be like, screw that guy. He did it again, you know. But um, even after that, he was still uh, in the picture. And then uh, three wide with Chris Busher and Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson was driving really aggressively tonight. Yes, he was. Uh, Chris Busher even was like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> and uh, that contact kind of ended Kyle Busch's night. But um, And then afterward... After it's all over, Kyle Busch does some interviews on Pit Road. You were you were in that scrum, I think. Yes, I talked talk for a while, and then um, he is on his way out from some eyewitness accounts of people I've talked to. Uh, he was actually signing autographs on the way out for people who were following him. He gets up to the tunnel where the exit of the infield tunnel is, uh, and where drivers get on their golf carts. And apparently, um, fan hopped the fence and made some sort of physical contact with Kyle Busch while he was on his golf cart, which then resulted in Kyle Busch um, somehow getting off the golf cart and getting into some sort of physical confrontation with this guy after he got hit from, from by the guy. And uh, cops stepped in, took the guy away. But um, yeah. friends don't let friends attack drivers after the race, I would say. Yeah, friends don't. I don't think anybody should. It's just, you know, NASCAR, I was on the grid in the pre-race. And there were a lot of people there. And there are times as a, as a journalist, somebody who's there for the hard card, you almost want to be like, man, I almost wish this was like F1. It was more restricted. But at the same time, it's it's so cool for those fans. And, you know, they have all this access in NASCAR. And, like, even there, you know, this guy just had, like, a, a, a by all accounts, a pretty wild day, pretty rough day. He comes home, I think, 20th after everything. But, you know, he's – He's taking the time to go up there, stopping, signing autographs for people and stuff after that. Like, even there, you know, fans are getting access to these guys after the event, which you don't see in many other sports. And then this guy just attacks him from the sounds of it, or at least at least gets confrontational. That I don't want to see one person like that kind of ruin it for everybody. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because so many people do right by it and take advantage of it and enjoy it without leading us astray and doing poor things. But every now and then you get that one. I think of the guy who was yelling at Denny at Martinsville last year yep. or yep. this one today. And, you know, it's just all it takes is for one of those to really go south, and it can ruin it for everybody. And I think that would just be a total shame. Well, what I think what's scary for me, and we'll go back to the, the race talk in a minute here, but just what if that guy had, had a weapon of some kind? Yeah. You know, and, and obviously, you know, you're drunk. And, and, you know, if you, whether it's a gun or a knife or something and, uh, you know, you, you get that, that much to attack a driver. I mean, that's a bad situation. Um, yes. and, and I don't want to see fans have to be in a situation where they're losing access to the drivers, but I also, it's totally unacceptable for the drivers to be in that situation where if something happens in a race and it's a highly emotional thing that the fans, you know, like you said, just like with the Denny Hamlin thing at Martinsville last year, um, you know, if, if some if someone uh, hits Tom Brady on the football field and like even injures Tom Brady, mm-hmm. uh, fans not going to be able to get down on the field to that football player and like get in his face afterwards. They could yell from the stands and stuff like that, but it's just not a good situation to um, have that. You know, I, I just I would like to see them do something to make sure it doesn't happen again. Whether it's increased security after the races or whatever, but that takes away from the NASCAR fan experience. I know, but you just you can't have the drivers in that in that environment, I don't think. No, yeah, it's definitely a delicate balance. Like, you know, the drivers, a lot of them want to stop and they want to engage with the fans, and, and you know, it's, it's hard to stop a driver from doing that too, but 
I don't know. It's you hate to see fans lose access. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's not something I would ever like actively root for. But if something like this is going to continue to happen and become persistent, I, I really think that might be something they have to look at. I mean, yeah. it's hard to say otherwise. <laughs> well, like I mean, in in a worst case scenario or something too, um, if that guy did have a weapon and and some sort of like injured Kyle or worse, mm-hmm. that's that's like the end of fan access. Yeah. In some ways, I mean that like changes NASCAR forever. Something like that happens. So, um, I just hope that people. Uh, I mean, I know people that are, would be listening to this podcast aren't going to go attack a driver, but um, I hope people out there have enough sense to not uh, not let it escalate to that level. But anyway, back to the race. So um, it, it was an up and down race for a lot of people, including um, like Ryan Blaney, who ends up finishing seventh. Clint Boyer, who had a shot to win, finishes sixth. Um, but uh, and even Brad Kozlowski, who was like a non-factor all night, finishes 16th. Um, but they ultimately have enough points to lock themselves in. And I'm talking about um, Ryan Blaney, Brad Kozlowski, and Kyle Larson. Those are the top three drivers in points who did not have a win. And NASCAR has calculated calculated it out, and they now have a clinched playoff spot with two races to go, Darlington and Indianapolis. So, um you do the playoff points every week. Uh, you you do it for all three series. Yep. Um, and so you, you're always following the points battle very closely. Actually, re- I click on your links um, because you break down the the playoff picture so well. What what did you see out of tonight? Who made gains? Who made losses for that that picture? Well, in terms of the actual playoffs themselves, like making the playoffs, we didn't see a whole lot of change. I think the one you obviously would say hurt himself would be Stenhouse. Yeah. He was top 10 top five early on looked like he had a chance to maybe even be a fringe contender for the win and then I don't know what all accidents or issues befell that team he came to pit road twice under green flag over the course of the day and just totally ruined his run so not only is he now still 16th which isn't going to get him into the playoffs because Austin Dillon who is where is Austin now? 19 he's still got that Daytona 500 win to bank on yep so Ricky's pretty much going to have to win Darlington or Indy. Same yeah. for well, because anybody at this now, point. Now, you know, I think they were saying on the pre-race, he's basically going to have to – he was out, I think, 62 points coming into tonight. And now um, he's 79 points out because Bowman ends up with the top 10. He finished eighth. Mm-hmm. Senhouse finished five laps down in 24th. So he comes into his best track. Senhouse was, had the best uh, average finish of any current – uh, driver at Bristol. Um, and he unfortunately can't capitalize for whatever reason and now slips even further. So it's pretty much at this point, it's everybody's pretty much going to be locked in unless there's a new winner. There's no, there's no points drama at this point at all. No, it's all win or lose at this point for everybody outside, which Darlington, I don't think you'll see change too much just because of the nature of the way Darlington drives Indy. If it gets crazy, like it did last year, could be one that we all kind of watch because you're going to have guys like Menard who might have speed or Newman. You know, these guys that have won the Brickyard before, well, actually both of them with kind of strategy plays. I remember I think Newman was a two-tire deal to pass Jimmy Johnson and Menard won on fuel mileage. So there are going to be guys there with a chance to win, but with the way things are going, you really feel like they're running out of time and running out of hope. And at this point, with that said, the one thing I've been focusing more on are the guys in the playoffs themselves positioning themselves for a better run. I think, obviously, given that, Kurt Busch is the big winner from tonight. 
know, he gets five playoff points, and that's not going to close him up to Kyle. That's not going to close him up to Kevin, and that's not even going to get him close to Truex. But what it does do is positions him to be right there with Clint Boyer and all those guys in what I would consider the race for the fourth spot. Yeah, and that's what it's going to come down to ultimately because um, it seems like at least Kyle Busch and Harvick are so far ahead. Truex is a little bit pretty close to them, but still far behind. Then you have a very steep drop-off for the rest. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I, I do think, though, that, that that who will be the fourth guy um, story will will ramp up. I can't really imagine, though. I mean, has there ever been a situation where NASCAR has gone to the cutoff race and there's, like, no uh, points drama at all? I can't really ever remember that. I think it's because no. of the stage points that's blown things so open the last couple of years, but mm-hmm. it's still pretty rare. Yeah, it's definitely rare. It's It kind of stings, too, because that was part of, like, the intrigue of putting Indy in the regular season finale is, like, you know, the way this track is, it can be hard to pass. If you need to make up 20 points on somebody, hey, maybe you take two tires on the last stop and see if you can finish 15 point places ahead of them if you get some stage points or something like that. But they're going to yeah. be, unless something drastic happens, they're all going to be so far out that it's just going to be Hail Mary or bust. And I don't know if you're a team like, or a driver like McMurray in the one team or Byron in the 24 team, I don't know if I've seen enough speed where even if they make a strategy play, I would really place a whole lot of faith in them to steal a win out there against guys like Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. Yeah, I know. And and uh, it's there's a lot of decent names out there who, who you would think before the season would have been contenders, you know, whether it's McMurray, Newman, uh, Suarez, um, Menard. I mean, yeah. you would have thought the Wood Brothers would have a better year. So, um, yeah, kind of surprising. That, uh, that this could all end up like that. but um, So let's let's just put a bow on Bristol here. Um, Kyle Larson afterwards said, if NASCAR bra- raced at Bristol every week, um, that, or, you know, a, a Bristol type thing, then the stands would be full and the ratings would be higher, much higher. And he said, we should build more Bristols. Um, I feel... When I hear that, obviously I go, amen, right? <laughs> but I also feel almost frustrated at times by the situation that NASCAR is in. You see races like this mm-hmm. or um, a Martinsville type situation or whatever. And it's like, oh my God, it's so obvious that they should be doing more of this. This is great stuff. This is awesome. And why can't this happen? Like, you know, it's just... Uh, Oh, it's it's frustrating. How do you feel about the whole more short tracks thing at this point? Well, I love short track racing. You know, I I grew up in Indiana and go to like local late model shows at Winchester Speedway and Salem Speedway. So um, don't get me wrong, I love short track racing, and I think more races would definitely lead to a better or at least more consistent product. I don't necessarily believe that it's going to be like a cure all in terms of attendance and stuff like people may think. I mean. Even tonight, you know, the Bristol night race, the stands weren't packed. And part of that's part of that's weather, obviously. You can definitely yeah. factor that in. And I don't know how much that had to do with it. And part of it's just saturation in this area. They have so many races within three, four hours of here. But yeah, I, it could definitely help the product, I think. I think tonight's proof of that. And I think it could also be a, that maybe help with things like TV ratings and attendance just because if fans know they're going to get a consistently good product, they're going to be more apt to support it. I think that's 
a fair statement, but I don't know that I would necessarily say it would be like a 100% cure-all as much as that hurts. And the reason I say that is because I also cover a lot of IndyCar racing, and I go to a lot of IndyCar races. And I was telling some friends recently, you know, most people, at least on Twitter and things I see, are always like, oh, IndyCar on the ovals is so good. We need to start going. We need to go to more ovals, you know, like maybe mm-hmm. not so much this year with the package, but like Indy 500 is the most amazing thing, and I was so great, and yeah, et cetera, et cetera. But as somebody who's gone to a lot of those races this year, I have seen more people at the road course races. And part of that might just be the affordability of it or the access you be able to be able to move around. But like I went to Road America back in June for IndyCar and it was packed. I went to Iowa and maybe the stands were half full. Yeah. So, I, well, I I, I think it would obviously it's not just gonna it wouldn't take place overnight. But I feel like it would build. First of all, you have a lot of people who were disillusioned with NASCAR over the years because they they found it boring or they they got tired of the product or whatever. And if you were going to say, okay, we're, we're going to turn this into like a short track series, essentially, mm-hmm. where it's a majority short tracks, obviously it would take some time for that to build up. But not only does that build up, but you then have situations where uh, there's there's opportunity for payback and carryover for the story, yeah. which hasn't really been a thing recently. Like True X Tonight and Kyle Busch, despite them being close and teammates, stuff like that, if there was another short track race right next week mm-hmm. and Truex had the opportunity or something and he was behind Kyle. I mean, even though they're, t- I mean, he just might do have some payback or something, you know, yeah. and that's just not going to happen, uh, at a typical track. And, and I just think it, that, that kind of, those kind of rivalries and ill will, and that's kind of like a big thing for, for NASCAR, that drama. Sure. And, uh, I don't know. It would be cool to see it have a chance to build up, but obviously we're living in a fantasy world because this is a <laughs> intermediate track series. Yeah. So we just have to keep banging the drum of more short tracks and maybe someday somebody will listen. I don't know. Maybe the new owners someday, but yeah. it's frustrating for now. I think just, just cause it, you, you just get the sense of like, Oh, what could have been, what, what could be, you know? Um, anyway, that's just my rant. <laughs> yeah. And I will, I'll add on to that. If you if you want to see more short track racing in NASCAR, I think one of the big key things you can always do is vote with your wallet. Show support for the short track racing we have now. You know, come to Bristol, go to Richmond and things like that. And if you can't go to that, I mean, every branch pretty much of America has some kind of major prominent short track series. You know, out east, you guys have got like the Cars Tour. Up by me, we've got the uh, CRA, Champion Racing Association. They run races like the Winchester 400. Noah Graxon won that race last year. Chase Elliott's ran it in recent years. Kyle Busch won it a few years back. You know, you get these big names that run these huge short track races, and not a lot of people, I think, have always noticed or paid attention to them. And that's growing with social media helping to kind of add exposure to that. But if you want to see NASCAR go there, the first thing I could, I guess, advise would be to kind of vote with your views and vote with your wallet. Go support the stuff that's out there now and show that there's interest. Yeah, I I can't really argue with that. But, you know, I will say that all three of NASCAR short tracks are within about a six-hour drive of each other. Yeah, it's rough. So, you know, it's a big country, and they're all sort of consolidated in one area. And even fans around here, it's sort of like, okay, you know, like Richmond's in a few weeks mm-hmm. or uh, Martinsville's in this fall. And so you have, you know, six races that you got to choose from and you're, you, you know, it's, it's again, the saturation of, of one area. But, um, but I, I agree with you that um, if NASCAR sees, okay, well the ratings are up for this and, and uh, 
you know, attendance is up for these, then maybe this is the sign that this is how people vote aside from just social media, which seems to be falling on deaf ears sometimes. But anyway, (laughs) um, any final thoughts on uh, where we stand now? I mean, it's it's still a big three world. I think I I don't I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I guess I would be surprised if some someone in the big three didn't win next week at Darlington and probably didn't win the last two uh, at Indy as well. Um, aside from that, do you see any any uh, storylines right now going into these these final two of the regular season? I'm just going to keep pushing the idea of that battle for that fourth spot. Um, yeah, that. That, to me, is going to be the more intriguing aspect of the playoffs, at least until maybe the penultimate round. Who is the fourth best driver, in your opinion? It's really, I think it varies a lot by each race. I don't know that any one driver has been consistent enough for that. I think Boyer definitely has the potential to be it. Kurt Busch has the potential, obviously, to be it. I really, I've leaned toward the Stuart Haas racing cars as the season's gone on, just because while Kyle Busch and Martin Truex are both consistently in the front for Toyota, I feel like Denny Hamlin and Eric Jones have been a little less consistent where I feel like from Stuart Haas, you know, Eric Almirola is usually somewhere in the top 10 if something doesn't go wrong. Kurt Busch is usually somewhere in the top 10 if something doesn't go wrong. You know, Clint Boyer's there really more often than probably any of them. But I definitely think there's potential for somebody like a Larson or Elliott to sneak in there, especially with them showing more speed. But I would probably lean towards one of the Stuart Haas racing drivers if you were going to put me on the spot. And just based on his, I guess, more consistent season, I would probably say Clint Boyer right now. Yeah, I I feel like SHR continues to be the strongest team at this point. Um, just overall, I mean, now that three of their drivers have won, Almirola keeps having weird stuff happen, but he's fast. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, Clint and Kurt as well. I just I don't I just don't know how much I like trust them in the playoffs. They they seem to to go up and down at times at that time of year, but. I feel like the tracks always seem to stack up well for Denny Hamlin. True. And even though, like you said, he hasn't shown that consistent speed, I can almost see them sort of turning it on. And then all of a sudden it gets like a Martinsville situation. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, we talked earlier, he's one of those guys that always has at least that one or two wins somewhere. Right. And that hasn't happened yet. Not yet. So I guess if we're going to go off the history he's had as a driver, you have to expect that to come sometime in the next 12 weeks. Yeah. So I, I could see them. You know, I could see him making a run. I'm not saying he's going to win the championship, but uh, I I do think though that as this sort of is coming along, it it almost seems to be lately developing back into like more of a big two than a big three. Truex he did fix his car up okay tonight, and obviously was running second for a while, but they just weren't there at the start. Um, and I I think it would it's going to be more of a Kyle Busch Harvick thing these last two weeks um, than than them, but. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the, was a good race poll. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be putting that out tomorrow or probably by the time people are listening to this today. Um, and, uh, boy, this was a good race. Yes, I think there's was. no doubt about that. It's just a question of how high the percentage is going to go. So I'm going to assume that it's going to be in the nineties as Watkins Glen was when I did this with Dustin Albino, we, we knew Watkins Glen was going to end up in the nineties. It's just sort of a question of how far yeah so the all-time record um right now is 94 mm-hmm. percent um i i think at some point even though a lot of people would say well how could you say it's a bad race people will find whatever reason <laughs> you know to not say whether that i don't like kurt or well i like the old bristol or whatever mm-hmm. so it's just a matter of how high in the 90s you're willing to go 
Um, I'll let you go first. It's really going to come down to a couple of percentage points here, I think. But where yeah. do you think the, the was a good race poll is going to end up? I'm going to go with, if i got to go 90s, I'm going to go 91. 91. The reason I say that, it was a tremendous race, and I think a lot of people are going to be kind of happy that Kyle had his issues toward the end, mm-hmm. silly as that may be. But I, I think, whereas with Watkins Glen, you had what I would consider more or less a universally popular winner, Chase Elliott getting his first win. Kurt Busch still has a few detractors out there, and I think there are going to be a few people who are going to be like, eh, I don't really like a race that Kurt won. So I would, if I've got to go 90, I would lean lower 90s just based on maybe that. Okay. Well, I don't want to just go like right to 92 and box you in there (laughs) and make it like an over under thing. So I will leave 1% in between us and I'll go with a 93%, which would tie the second best race with Martinsville last fall and Dover spring race from a couple years ago with, uh, I think it was Kenseth, Elliott, Larson battle if i'm not mistaken but um so i'm gonna say 93 percent. you say 91 percent. now um before we go aaron you and i some people know this but um we had collaborated on this newsletter called the the morning warm-up uh i had had this email list i tried to do a daily racing email when i first started the jeffgluck.com thing last year and it just was too much to keep up with but i noticed you had something on your Facebook that was a daily thing. Mm -hmm. So we, for the month of uh, July, did an experiment where we teamed up and we alternated writing the newsletter. Uh, Once again, I just feel like I couldn't really do it every day, but you are dedicated to this. You do it every day. So now you've taken over the newsletter. Yes. So if people are interested, and this is every day, folks. So, I mean, if if you don't want your racing news in your email every single day, that's fine. But if you do... Aaron is writing an email every single night. It comes to your email box at 6 a.m. Eastern or wherever you are. That's that's the time, 6 a.m. Eastern, um, uh, with racing news that he's learned. If you don't pay attention to Twitter 24-7 or whatever, this is probably the email for you. Aaron, um, how can people sign up for this or find the info for this newsletter if they want to sign up? So the easiest way because it kind of wraps back to your site, the easiest way I would say for me to plug it would just be to say to go to the Patreon I created for it. It is patreon.com slash Aaron Bearden 93, which okay. is my social media for everything under the sun. It's just my name on my birth year. Mm-hmm. Um, that has the link to the sign up, kind of an explanation of what it is. And if you guys want to support it on there, you can too. I'm not like going to demand that of anybody. It's right. free. It's not for a subscription. It. It's free. If yeah. you happen to like it, you can donate to Aaron's Patreon if you want him to keep doing it long term, essentially. But um, it's not. A subscription. There's no charge for it. You can sign up for free, but the link is just on your Patreon. Yeah, that's the easiest way I could think of to get yeah. people to sign up link to. So. We probably should come up with a better email link or better shortened link for people to sign up, but we'll work on that, folks. <laughs> we, should, we, should, we should have done that before the podcast, but we'll work on that. But um, yeah, for me, uh, Aaron, I think you're doing a great job. I think you are one of the bright young media members coming up, um, and I really uh, think you're going to be around for years to come. So, folks, get to know Aaron. He covers all sorts of racing series. Uh, Definitely a great one. And um, hope to see you continue to do well, Aaron. Yes, thank you so much. And I am very proud of myself. I want the world to know this. I got through this entire podcast without making a single pun. Yeah, I was surprised. I was racing for them. You're like the pun master. (laughs) And here I thought you were going to ruin the podcast with these puns. No, you wouldn't ruin it. Um, But, yes, you, you you did well. Anyway, uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening. So the off week is coming up, and that means there's only going to be 
one podcast next week. That's going to be a 12 questions with William Byron on Tuesday. Um, and then there won't be any, there's going to be no, how I got here, no post-race podcast next week, but then it'll resume with another 12 questions. Then I'll pick up with how I got here's again, pick up with the post-race podcast again. And, uh, thanks for all the feedback on the recent McKenna Hassey one. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. If you haven't heard that, I think it's one of the best ones of the year. So make sure to go back and listen to that on the feed. But, uh, Aaron, thank you for joining us. Thank you all for listening. And I will talk to you next time on the untitled Jeff Gluck podcast.